Welcome to season number six of the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where not only do we want you to get your money, we want you to get your money right. This show is designed specifically for ambitious moms, dads, husbands, and wives to help you get money out of the way so you can live life on your own terms. And if you're finally ready to transform the way you do money, head over and grab one of our free resources at yourmoneyright.com. Again, that's yourmoneyright.com. What's the good news, people? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where we talk about money like it's everybody's business. Because I truly believe if we're not good with money, it's because we don't talk about money. And this show is designed to change just that. I am your host, The Money Misfit, Jamar Dupaz. This is episode number 82. And today, today we continue on with our Black History Month, celebrating the month of history for black Americans in the United States of America. And today we're going to share interesting stories of how slaves purchased their freedom and why maybe you should consider doing it yourself. I think it's going to make some people question some things. So if this is your first time tuning in, I'd like to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. I don't know how you found me, but I appreciate you being here. This is a different type of personal finance podcast. We talk about money as it relates to real life. At the same time, questioning all the advice and stories sold to us by big banks and broke people that keeps us in a in a, a rat race, so to speak, and not re- really utilizing money to work for us and live out our dreams. And it's coming from a perspective of a father, a husband of and a husband, a father of four, a firefighter, just a regular dude with great ambitions. And I got tired of being sick and tired when it came to money. And so that's where we are today. If you want to find out more about how we do what we do and how we believe you want to look at past episodes look at all the archives you want to hang out with the misfits head over to our website at yourmoneyright.com again that's yourmoneyright.com and join in on the conversation let me know what you think leave a comment on any of the posts there on the website i really would appreciate it so let's get on with it so we're celebrating black history month for those of you i know i got some international listeners i appreciate y'all by the way i appreciate my even my international reviews i love y'all thank you so much for for giving us a shout out and putting us on a map across the globe across the water but black history month is a month that's celebrated in the united states and what we do is we try to highlight uh, the history of black americans uh people who of african descent who came over here and part of the slave slave trade and all that good stuff uh, that we I like to call native black Americans. Um, we don't really have a history. History was lost. History was stolen. It was raped out of us. It was killed out of us. It was yanked out of us. And so a lot of times uh, we need to go back and kind of celebrate and, and look at the good things that happened in our history to kind of you know, know who we are, know where we're from, know what we're capable of, because there is a big issue here in this country, especially with blacks and our own self-esteem and our group esteem and all that good stuff. So we we take the month of February, which I'm not a big fan of only taking a month, but I do like to take advantage of this time period to highlight some things that we may not know about or may, you know, not have thought about. And today we're going to talk about interesting stories of how some slaves actually were able to purchase their own freedom. You know how they do it, why they do it, what's the mechanism behind it, and I want to relate it to today. Uh, and then, you know, th- th- let me say this as a disclaimer, right? 
I am not belittling what happened. I am not trying to say what we're going through today is the same <laughs> as what slaves went through in the past. I also am not ignorant or or unaware of the modern day slavery, real slavery that goes on across the globe where people are in chains being sold and bought and all that good stuff. But I would be it would be irresponsible of me, I believe, if I didn't share the thoughts that I had about how I feel that today we are in many cases a wage, a wage slave or slave to the wages that we earn. And we're going to draw these parallels so maybe can have us thinking a little bit differently about what we do for a living. Right. And maybe how we can utilize what we do for a living and pull out more purpose and meaning out of it and make it more effective, spend more time on Earth doing effective things. So we're going to draw those parallels. But let's get on with the stories. Right. So this was interesting to me and actually came about because what I was planning to talk about today was to highlight the first black millionaires in the country, at least that we have a record of. Because I think it's a it's an amazing feat that we look at people who were making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, you know, in the early and late 1800s, early 1900s, especially being involved in such a culture of just blatant racism uh, and blatant superiority uh, across the country, not being considered a human being, not being considered a whole man and all that good stuff. Jim Crow and all the, the, the extreme challenges that people had in that day. And I thought it would be a great idea to highlight the millionaires, the people who came from nothing and brought themselves up and into, you know, the elite status, so to speak. Right. But then when I started doing my research, I started thinking about, you know, how these people even got out uh, from underneath. Right. How did you even get started? And I started coming across these stories of, of slaves or former slaves who are able to purchase their own freedom. And not only purchase their own freedom, but in many cases, purchase their own freedom and then go buy their wife, go buy their children and go back and get their freedom for family members. And I thought it was fascinating, but I also could notice that there's this parallel to purchasing your freedom that we can learn a lot from today. Right. And so let's dive into it. One of the first stories I ran and and mind you, I'm going to put all the links to these stories that I found. If you want to go read, because I'm not going to read through all these stories. I'm just kind of going to highlight a few of them so we can draw the conclusion and get to the point. Right. But one of the first stories I came across was by a guy by the name of Venture Smith. Right. Of course, you know, his African name was not Venture and his last name definitely wasn't Smith. But you know how it goes. Right. Slave owner buys you, gives you his last name and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, it was a guy who was born in West Africa, right? He was enslaved as a child, about six years old or so. And uh, he was initially brought over to the Caribbean, which is a lot of people don't know. Uh, a lot of the slave trade went to the Caribbean. That's why you see a lot of, you know, I remember one of the first times I saw a black person speaking Spanish. I was like, whoa, what, what, <laughs> where'd that come from? I was ignorant at the time. I was young, young whippersnapper, right? I didn't realize the extent of the Atlantic slave trade, right? It goes all the way up and down the Americas, South, North, Central, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, he uh, was initially shipped over into the Caribbean, then later up to Rhode Island, Connecticut, New England area, right? And uh, he was one of those people. And if the stories are correct, he was actually kidnapped. He was a uh, prince uh, of a of a king in over from uh, West Africa. And uh, he was able to he was in slavery at the age of six. But I think about the age of 30 or 31, he was able to purchase his own freedom. It was like 1765 or so. And uh, the story goes on to talk about how 
it took him about 10 years or so after his own freedom to earn enough money and save enough money to purchase his entire family, his, his wife, his son, and he had two daughters. And I thought this was fascinating, uh, it, along with other stories. Another one, um, this uh, lady by the name of uh, Elizabeth Keckley, right? She was uh, in uh, St. Louis and she looked to uh, purchase her freedom and they even talk about and these stories come from their own accounts, right? Because there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of historians and people that went back and would talk to former slaves and talk about their existence and how, you know, they did. And a lot of times they would write their write their own stuff. Uh, Frederick Douglass was uh, known for doing this, right? He was one of those people who was known and became popular by being able to articulate his life as a former slave. Right. And he would even talk about how he made this money. But I'll get to that in a minute. But this lady, she was a uh, a sem- seamstress, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. And her slaveholder, you know, agreed to to allow her to buy her freedom back for twelve hundred dollars. Now, it doesn't sound like a whole lot today, but twelve hundred dollars back then it was a ton of money. Right. And what she would do is she would go um, how slaves would be able to earn money is they would be able to hire out their specialized skills. Right. Uh, and now they wouldn't be able to just go make money on their own. Right. You wouldn't really be making money from your slave owner. Like he wouldn't pay you or she or the family wouldn't pay you extra for the stuff you did, because everything that you did, basically, since they owned you, all your labor was theirs. Right. But what she would do is they would hire her out. They would send her up to New York. They would send her up into the cities because she was a seamstress. Right. And this is basically how slaves would go make extra money. They would take any specialized skills they had, whether they would play the violin, whether they played music, whether they were fighters. Um, those of you who've seen the movie The Django Unchained, right, they would uh, they would have these mandingos, right, and they would go and fight. Sometimes they would fight to the death and people would make money off of them. And they would win bets and stuff like that. And if you brought home back to your slave owner, right, if you brought money home and you were profitable to your slave owner, they would keep all their money. It was their money, right, in the, in, legally. But sometimes they would give you extra money. So if you made them $6, they would give you 25 cents or a dime or six cents or something like that. Right. And so these are very meager, very small amounts. They were absolutely making a whole lot more money on you uh, than you were making for yourself. But they didn't have to do this. This was only kind of to encourage them to continue to do more of it, to encourage them to uh, get better at their craft, to encourage them to continue to practice, to encourage them to want to go out and do more of it. Because if you can incentivize a slave to maybe have a little bit better living, then they would want to do more of this and they would be better at their crafts and and it would it would be better for the entire uh, plantation or an entire business, so to speak, the entire family of the slave owner. And so this was kind of how this all came about. They weren't getting extra money because they picked extra cotton or they cleaned more dishes. Right. It was usually that the owner was able to hire their labor out to someone else. If there was a musician, violinist, pianist. They would send you out somewhere else uh, to entertain other people who maybe didn't have a slave or uh, or didn't have people who had that talent around them. And they would make money off of you. Right. You would they would hire your labor out since they owned you. And again, like I said, they would pay you uh, wages as I don't even want to say a token of appreciation. <laughs> right. But just a way to encourage you. Right. Here's a little extra treat. Here's a little extra something, something to tide you over. They were still responsible for your well-being. Right. There were certain laws out. Like you had to feed them. You had to 
You have to feed your slaves. You have to clothe your faith. You have to, to house your slaves and things like that. And these were the early, like, you know, the 1700s, early 1800s, before a lot of the real, like, scary stuff started to happen. Uh, there were still even slaves back then who weren't just black. There were uh, white. They, well, they weren't slaves. But they were indentured servants, so to speak, where people would come over over here to the country and they would work There'd be other white people. Uh, there would be Irish or or, you know, Danish or whatever the case may be, Polish. And they would work for other white people, but they would be treated a lot better. Right. And they were able to get their freedom and then go out and work in, you know, in regular cities and regular and be in regular places and stuff like that. But there was a lot of people, white people that came over and they were hated, especially the Irish, the Italians and things like that. And that's why even to this day, you still see these type of communities tight knit with each other because they needed each other when they came over here uh, several you know, hundred years ago now. Right. A couple of couple of centenniums. But um, and which it's funny to me because people want to say, well, slavery is over. Why are you still worried about it? It was 200 years ago, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, 100 years ago. But you still see the results of it today. Right. Because you see still see communities who depended on each other back then still are very tight knit today, even in these modern times. Anyway, I don't want to go down that tangent. But uh, so that's how a slave would basically earn money. Right. Uh, they would get their money and then they would save their money. Uh, those who had the wherewithal or who had the belief that they could actually save money and then someday buy their own freedom. Frederick Douglass wrote uh, how he would uh, he would have make his his slave owner, you know, six dollars. And sometimes he would give him six cents to encourage him. This is where I got this from. This is Frederick Douglass's own words. And then what happens is if he was really pleased with them, if he brought him a whole lot, he would give him more. Instead of giving him six cents, he would give him twenty five cents. Right. And what happens was people like Frederick Douglass and people who had the wherewithal and the belief that they could some someday somehow become free, they would save their money. Other people would buy trinkets, uh, jewelry. They would buy liquor. They would buy books or, you know, things that they can consume to make their lives kind of feel a little bit better because they feel like, look, you know, freedom is a hopeless mirage. You can't really get free. Even if you do get free someday, you ain't going to really actually be free. So those type of people who didn't believe that they could do anything with that money more than, you know, buy liquor and, and have a good time. That's what they would do. They would just buy liquor and have a good time. They wouldn't even think about saving that money. Uh, but it was only those who were actually able to have that wherewithal and believe and even have the, you know, the audacity even want to be free, right? There was still a lot of people who didn't really want to be free. Uh, but there was this cool uh, statistic that I looked, that I saw that uh, I think it was 1839 in Cincinnati, something like 40% of all Americans who were in Cincinnati were ex-slaves that bought their freedom, right? So Cincinnati was this place where ex-slaves who bought their freedom would go to and they would flock to and they would uh, take care of each other and they would start their lives. They would buy land. They would start businesses and things like that. And there's tons of stories like this happening uh, all over the country in places that were friendly to uh, to black people or where black people can go to places where other people didn't really want. But uh, again, this is before the Civil War. Uh, a lot of stuff around the Civil War, the 1850s, 1860s, is when uh, a lot of the country started getting a little bit nervous, where the black population was getting so big that they. this is where you start seeing the, the slave codes 
um, ideas that was inherited from the Jim Crow type type people uh, to where they would limit how many black people could come in the country. Right. There was this quota. And so they went the country itself went on recruiting uh, more white people to come over to the United States. They would give them the 40 acres. They'll give them the mule. They'll give them free labor to help them get started. And you'd almost have to be a fool not to do that. But they were doing this because they were afraid that the the black people in this country would rise up, right, would become the majority. Because at the time, I think in 1850, and y'all can fact check me on this, do your own research, but about 1850 or so, or somewhere around in the early 1800s, black people at one point was almost 35% of the population. And that scared a lot of people, right? Like, whoa, it's too many of them. And of course, uh, if you got too many black people and you're afraid of them, there's too many of them being free. uh, And there's you own a plantation full of them. So there was all there was these stories of revolts and things like that that came from the Caribbean, Haiti. Haiti right now was one of those stories of, you know, where slaves just kind of took back the island. And, you know, that's why you see so many black people still there today. Um, But that's what people were afraid of. They were afraid that if you got too many black people that, you know, they would revolt or take over and stuff like that. And you still see a lot of that today. The people from the alt right. Uh, they fear uh, being obsolete. They fear uh, not having their white supremacy. They fear uh, losing what they call their country. Right. Which was not built by them, but built by on the back of slaves and stuff like that. But you can still see that fear today. And uh, which, again, is funny that you hear these people talk about how slavery was so long ago that people need to get over it. But we still see those same fears, those same results, those same advantages and disadvantages from, you know, a few few generations ago. So anyway, it was it was really interesting to me when I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the difference between the people who thought they could get free and did something about it and the people who didn't and didn't do much about it. They just kind of consumed, took the extra money that they made and they consumed. And even if you look at the stories of People like Harriet Tubman, who they had the Underground Railroad and they would go down south and try to free slaves. And he had slaves that didn't want to leave. They were like, no, nah, I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I got a house or at least I got a roof over my head. Right. They uh, they had food and they were afraid that if they went out there that they could die. They wouldn't come back. Uh, there was other things, too. They, they were afraid that they would leave their family behind. If I were to escape and I left my wife behind, she would be raped and my children would be killed or, or, or whatever. Right. Uh, and that, these are real fears. And though you hear a lot of people that will talk that big talk about what they would do when they were afraid, these were legitimate fears. And we have a lot of the legitimate fears today as we start to kind of draw this parallel between then and now that people are afraid to leave the J.O.B. And just like I won't bash people who did not leave the plantation, I'm not going to bash people today that won't just quit their job and, you know, pursue the entrepreneurial life, which it seems like a lot of these gurus and these big money people and, you know, start your own business networks and people talk about how it's such a terrible thing to have a job. Right. And that if you have a job, then you're, you know, you participate in your own demise and and yada, yada, yada. And now there is some some semblance of truth to it. Right. If you are only depending on your job, you think about it. You are putting it is a risk involved in it. Right. I feel that we should have uh, insurances in place. I feel like we should be not only just have a job because remember, and I've said this a thousand times, jobs are temporary. All jobs are temporary, right? And no matter how safe you think your job is, it is temporary and it can be snatched from you, right? It's temporary in the fact that even if you think it's secure, even if you think you're going to be at your job for your life, right? So like, I feel like as a firefighter, 
it's a fairly quote unquote secure job, right? Like I feel like my skills can be used other places. The challenge with that though is that it, I could be laid off, right? The city could get into a tough time and lay me off. Now it'll be more difficult because so many people depend on the labor that I provide, not only as a firefighter, but as a paramedic, uh, but as a problem solver. And there's a lot of people out there that need a lot of help. And uh, so there's a sense of security. But even then, if I pass away, I can't pass on this job to my child. I can't pass it on to my son or my daughter or anything like that. It's not mine. Right. And so if I depend on it, it's even if I keep it for the rest of my life, it is still temporary. Right. And, and that's the, the, the deal with the jobs. Just like our life. Life is temporary, but we buy life insurance. Right. So what game plan do you have to keep your financial uh, plan in order, even if you're here or not? So a good financial plan should be should be able to work whether you're working or not. Right. Whether you're dead or alive, it should not necessarily depend on your own labor, on your own getting up and going to work because you have a greater greater chance of, of getting injured and not being able to work, number one, than you do of dying at a young age, right? But, you know, we don't have disability insurance. You have a greater chance of being laid off than you even have of being hurt on the job, right? Because we're in this culture now, we're in this economy where jobs are extremely temporary. I've talked about this before, looking at the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics that millennials basically, our 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 time at jobs are about three and a half years long, right? That's the average. Some people are longer, some people are shorter, right? And we're looking and we're probably going to come up on a recession pretty soon. You know, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the stocks. I've talked about this before. It's at all time highs. Uh, we're doing a correction. Uh, things that we're doing in the country, the money that we're spending uh, as a government, you know, things like that. And basically, we're just overdue a recession. So some people can probably look to get laid off. And also not even get laid off. Some people are just they'll get de-employed, right? Unemployed, so to speak, but they get hired on as a contractor. We're in this uh, this contractor type economy, uh, this um, what they call it. They call it the um, gig economy, right? Like most of the jobs, most of the income that's coming out now are people that are working for themselves as independent contractors, which meaning you have to come up with your own health insurance. You got to pay your own taxes. You basically have to be responsible for all your stuff. And we've seen this happen before. We've seen this happen before when we stopped taking doing pensions, right? Instead of pensions, companies said, look, let's stop taking care of the employee and have them take care of themselves via their 401ks, right? Same thing is happening now. Now this there's this trend of Instead of the companies are taking care of your health care, they want you to take care of your own health care. Right. They want you to take care of not only your own retirement, but your own health care and take care of your own taxes and take care of your own stuff. They're trying to outsource all these things to the individual. And we can see this trend happening more and more and more. And I believe it will probably just continue to happen, especially as technology continues to do what it does uh, and it becomes easier to run a business or have things without as many people involved. And that's something that we got to get got to get aware of. Right. We got to be we got to be clear on. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully that was helpful. But that wouldn't my whole point. Let me get back to it. I, I, I say all that to say this, that even though these slaves back in the day felt like they could depend on their slave owners, they really couldn't. Right. They were just comfortably uncomfortable. And a lot of us today, we live these lives of, of desperation, of mediocre existence, and we're comfortably uncomfortable where we are. We don't think we make enough money, but we don't do anything about it. 
We just we don't think we can buy our way to freedom. So we don't. Every weekend we go, we just spend our money on liquor, we buy shoes, we buy clothes, we buy new cars, things that make us feel good in the meantime, because we don't think we can do much different. Uh, a lot of my coworkers, a lot of times we'll go into people's houses and especially if we go to uh, poor people and they'll say, we'll go to the houses, we'll go to the apartment and you got, you know, four or five, six, seven people living in a one bedroom apartment. But they got an 80 inch TV and there's a bunch of Jordans lined up along the wall, but they don't even have a bed. They're sleeping on the, on a sofa or, or a uh, just a mattress on the floor. Right. Or maybe they're bunked up and things like that. And a, a lot of guys who are from uh, privileged backgrounds, they would see this and they just don't understand. Like, how can you have an 80 inch TV with direct TV, uh, PlayStation four, but don't even have a bed, don't have a couch, don't have a place for your children to sleep on, but you got an 80 inch TV with a deal. And I said, you, you got to understand the mentality that people who are poor have a scarce mentality. So when they do get a little bit of money, since they don't know if they're going to get any more money, they don't, they're not really sure if more money is going to come in. They take that chance and to take the money that they do get to buy nice things that they don't think they could ever get anyway. And this was the same way with slaves, right? Or with those people who would, who would make a little bit of extra money. And instead of saving the money to maybe buy their freedom one day, they would just go buy liquor. They'll go buy jewelry. They'll go buy trinkets that'll kind of maybe even separate them from other slaves, right? To make them feel better about themselves in, the, in, in a given moment. They didn't necessarily have the vision or the belief or the wherewithal to put that money away and possibly one day buy their own freedom. Because to be honest with you, it wasn't guaranteed to you. The slave owner had to agree to it, right? So you can you can save all that money and they can mess around and steal that money from you. You couldn't do anything anyway. You couldn't like, it was probably illegal to steal from you, but it was also illegal for a black person to testify in court, right? So even if you did say, hey, he stole his money from me and you went to court, you couldn't testify against him, right? And then the police were white, so you didn't really, you know, there was no advantages there. So it was a risk to try to save up your money and buy your freedom, just hoping that you could save enough money and that your slave owner would agree to get your freedom right there is a risk. Then once you do get your freedom, there was a risk that once you go out out there, you can end up back where, right where you came from and maybe in a worse situation. And we can see this right now in, in modern day times where we're so afraid of leaving the job or not having a job because it is a possibility that you can go out and try to do this thing on your own because maybe you're not entrepreneurial. Maybe you don't have uh, the experience. You don't have the connections. You don't know enough people. You don't know enough information. You don't have enough skills that you can go out and try to do things on your own and end up in a worse situation before, you know, you go broke and now you can't go back to the job you had because maybe you burned some bridges or they don't want to hire you anymore. Or maybe people are not hiring right now. They've already replaced you. There are risks involved in going after your freedom. And it's interesting how the word freedom uh, has free in it, but it's, there's nothing free about freedom. It's going to take, it's going to take you to, to chin up and, and take some risk, right? But I'm a believer in calculated risk. I'm a believer in hedging your risk, right? So if, say for instance, if I was a slave back then, and I would want to know, you know, if I told my slave owner, hey, if is it is it a possibility for me to be free, <laughs> right? Uh, and if it is, maybe I can still do things for you once I do buy my freedom. Maybe we can still do some business together, right? And I would set things up in advance. This is why I tell people, don't quit your job. If you want to go out on your own, do your own thing, don't quit your job. Right. Keep your job, build your fortune, build your dreams on a side. 
build it up, but keep your job. But you got to utilize your job. Right. The things that you get paid for, you have to some somewhere, somehow say, look, some of this money is going to go towards my freedom. Right. If you don't do that, you're just like the slave who would just take their money and buy liquor and just be happy with or just be content or just decide that it's going to stay in their situation. Right. But if you want to be like the Frederick Douglasses, if you want to be those who who came out of this extraordinary time, you're going to have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Other people are not willing to take percentages of their paycheck and put it to a side just for their freedom. Right. One, they probably don't have the wherewithal to do it. They probably don't have the game plan to do it. They probably never even heard that they can do it. Or they probably don't believe that they have enough money to be able to do that. But I promise you this. If you can't take a dime out of a dollar. You won't take 10,000 out of 100,000, right? It starts with whatever you have right now. It doesn't matter how little you make or how much you make. If you don't put aside a little bit, a minimum, bare minimum 10% for your own freedom, you will never have freedom. You will always be a slave. You will always be a slave to the wage, right? The game plan with your money. We've talked about this a million times, especially when we talk about our bucket systems. You have to have some of your money go towards making you more money. If you don't have that, you will always be working for more money. Your 401k will not be enough. Let me repeat this. Your 401k will not be enough. Social security will not be enough. It may be enough to feed you. Maybe put you somewhere, right? To have a a roof over your head. But don't think you're going to have this this life of retirement that you see on TV Just because you put 3%, 4%, 6% into your 401k, right? Even if you have a million dollars when it's time for you to to retire in your 401k, it's not going to be enough, right? Why? Because cost of living is going to be higher. Why? Because you still got to pay taxes, right? A million dollars is not a million dollars in a 401k. You haven't, remember, you haven't paid taxes on that money yet. The government wants that tax money. The reason why they allow you to put it away tax-free now it's because they'd rather tax the harvest where the long, it's, it, instead of the seed, right? Instead of taxing you today on a smaller amount, we want to tax you later on a bigger amount, right? Does that make sense? Let it grow, get real big, then tax you. So you have, to, you have to be aware of this. But I also want you to know that you can have your freedom. You can do this. We see story after story after story of people who get free. They find ways to invest. They find ways to put money to work for them. They find ways to start their own businesses. They find ways to take their labor and 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 rent it out, so to speak. Right. Go do the extra stuff. And this is the people who the slaves who were able to get free were the ones that had specialized skills, skills that other people desired in the marketplace. If I could play a violin as a slave, this was something that other people they 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 appreciated. If I was a top notch top notch seamstress. Other people in the cities and in cultures, they wanted that. They they needed that skill, so they would pay for that skill, right? But if all I did was basic stuff, I didn't get any new skills, right? I was just a laborer, so to speak. Nobody would hire that out. Your work could only be at the plantation, right? I need you here. Since you can't do anything else, I need you to do this manual labor, right? But it's the people with the with the extra skills that went above and beyond. That's why I always say you need to continuously build your skills, your skill set is the thing that's going to keep you lean, liquid and relevant. And you got to keep your skills relevant. And when I say relevant, it's got to be skills that people are willing to pay for in a marketplace. Right. 
if you know how to uh, work or Word 2000, right? Nobody uses Word 2000 anymore, right? If you knew how to uh, repair typewriters, but we use keyboards now, it don't, it don't matter. If you were the ice man, the man who used to, before refrigerators were, were invented, used to deliver ice to people's houses, and now all of a sudden everybody got refrigerators, your job is gone. It's time to get new skills. You have to, you have to maintain your relevancy, right? You got to continuously grow. This is why some of your money has to help you grow. If you're not investing in yourself first, you're doing yourself and your family a disservice. But we hear about these stories of slaves who took their skills, took the little bit that they had, put their money aside for their freedom. And not only for their own freedom. If we look at uh, oh boy, I was talking about venture, venture Smith. Not only did he get his own freedom, he took the skills that he already had, went, sold his sold his services to other people. Made enough money within 10 years. Now, I know 10 years sound like a long time, but in 10 years, he was able to go buy his wife, get his son and his daughters back. Right. Do you have a wife, a son, daughters that that could use you around, that could use you to be free, that wants you to be free so then they could be free so you can build a lifestyle for them that you could pass on to them. Set them up on a different trajectory instead of having to come up in that in that. And start off being a wage slave and stay a wage slave. Don't you think it'll be a good idea for you to show your children there's a better way, right? Prepare them for the future that is coming. Prepare them for freedom. My question to you is, what are you doing about it? Are you doing anything about it? How much of your money are you putting aside for your own freedom? Zero, one percent, two percent, 10 percent, 20 percent. How much should you be doing? Where can you get this money from? What are some things that you are paying for today that is costing you your freedom? Right. Because if you aren't putting the money aside for your own freedom, something is costing you that money. Right. What are you buying on the weekends? What are you spending your money on that is more important than your freedom? Than your ability to move and be be lean and be liquid and be free and do the things that you want to do to go live the life that you want to live. It starts with the small stuff. And I know I know I know. Listen, I know. Right. I'm on a firefighter salary. I know. Right. I got two jobs. <laughs> I got four kids. I got a wife that stays at home. Right. I do this show. I got a lot of things going on. So I know. Trust me. I know. I own a house. This house takes money to 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 keep it maintained. A couple cars. But we still have to find a way. We have to find a way to do it. Right. Complaining about it. Talking about why you don't make enough money. Getting down the street and marching and, and all that other stuff. That may be for other people. But for those of us who are going after it, who want to take it to another level, who want to get our own freedom, we got to do more. We got to go above and beyond. And if we don't do that, we end up falling into somebody else's plan. And we've talked about this a million times. What do you think other people have planned for you? Not much. The slave owners would have rather them just stay slaves. You know, keep doing, keep doing what they're doing. Right. They don't want much plan. It was all about them. If you wasn't making a slave owner any money, then they don't need you. It's the same thing on the job today. If you're not making your boss, your employer any money, they don't need you. If you're not offering a service to them, they don't need you. The only reason they pay you is because they make money, more money off of you than you make. Then it costs to, to keep you there. Right. The exception of maybe some government jobs. But I won't go down that road. <laughs> I won't go down that road at all. But I thought this was interesting and I hope I hope you thought it was interesting, too, 
that you look at some slaves who were able to actually get free. They're a very small percentage of them. Right. And the chances to do this was rare. It wasn't available to everybody. Not everybody had access. But if you're listening to my voice. You're on your iPhone, your Android, your smartphone. It's available to you. It is available to you compared to the worst of the world. You live a privileged, privileged life. You are in the one percent when it comes to the rest of the world. If you think about global scale, what are you going to do with the advantages that you do have? You're going to complain about the disadvantages. Are you going to take advantage of the advantages that you do have the resources that you do have? Right. We could do a whole lot better, but it starts with what you have. You got to prosper where you planted, where you're planted. And it's true. The grass is greener on the other side. But the reason it's greener on the other side is because they've been tending to it or somebody before them has been tending to it. You got to start tending to your own grass if you want to someday be green. Right. Can't keep jumping fences. You got to start somewhere. So that's all I got today. Hopefully that was helpful. If you can think of one person who would benefit from that, share this thing out with them. Remember, I appreciate all the reviews are coming through. The more reviews we get, the more likes we get, the more shares we get, the more comments we get, the more the internets and the Facebooks and the Twitterers and all that. They share the stuff out. They allow our content to be seen and get this message out to as many people as possible. So help me out. Share this thing out. Let me know how you feel about it. Come over to the show notes at yourmoneyright.com forward slash 82. Leave a comment. Let me know what you thought. Uh, whether you hate it or love it, let me know. I really would appreciate that. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get off the mic. I really appreciate you listening. I really do. I love you. And God bless. MPS. MPS. Every talking about money